Last weekend, National Geographic released a ridiculous story about the so-called Gospel of Judas, a book produced by a set called the Cainites. They named themselves after Cain, as in the guy that killed Abel. This is a sect that uh, taught their followers that a man had to commit all kinds of sins in order to be saved. So just a coincidence that a story like this breaks right before Holy Week. Is it just accidental that every year, right before Christmas and Easter, the slick news magazines always seem to have cover stories which feature some attack on Christ our Lord? Why is that? Why does that happen every year? Or how about the reaction in the media to Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ? I'll give some quotes. Right here's from a man who certainly needs our prayers. Abraham Foxman of the Anti-Defamation League, quote, The film, from our perspective, unambiguously, from beginning to end, blames the death of Jesus on the bloodthirsty, vengeful Jews and absolves the peaceful, loving, kind, warm, sensitive Pontius Pilate and the Romans. Close quote. Does Abraham Foxman really believe this? Does any sane human being who saw the scene, for example, the scourging in that movie, think that the Romans were portrayed as, quote, peaceful, loving, kind, warm, sensitive, close quote? Or this, Abe Foxman, quote, the showing of the passion throughout the ages was a precursor for pogroms and persecution, and this film would in several months project the passion in its Middle Ages milieu to more people than would have seen or witnessed the passion play for almost 2,000 years. It will fuel hatred, bigotry, and anti-Semitism. Close quotes. Are we supposed to believe that once we saw the movie, some kind of bloodbath, some kind of terrible persecution of Jews would erupt? Is that what we're supposed to believe? Was Abraham Foxman really seriously worried about a persecution? What was bothering him? I mean, besides the fact that he's a fallen away Catholic, what was bothering him about seeing the Passion? Does any of that make sense? See, he's not a stupid man. This is a very, very intelligent human being. He wouldn't be in the position he's in if he wasn't intelligent. So what's really going on? Why is it that before a great feast, like Christmas or Easter, Whenever a significant work of art promoting Christ our Lord is released, what is it that produces all these weird and offensive attacks on our Lord? What is it? What's going on? Maybe we can get a better idea by considering an article on the same topic. I took this from Eretz Sheva, Israel National News, March 1st, 2004. Quote, the Orthodox Jewish Union has prepared a response to the controversial anti-Semitic and violence-saturated film, The Passion. Rabbi Dr. C.V. Hirsch Weinreb stated, quote, What I'm concerned about is that Jews who see this film will identify deeply with Jesus, the movie's heroic good guy, and will disidentify with their own God-given identity as the Jewish people, close quote. That's honest. He's worried about the passion because it may cause conversions. It's honest. These kind of attacks, well, the different enemies of Christ and his church are nothing new. They're variations on a theme. 
It's been the same old story from the beginning. The Gospel for the Friday of the fourth week of Lent tells the story of how after Lazarus had died and laid in the tomb for four days, our Lord raised him from the dead. And in response to this miracle, the Gospel tells us, quote, Many, therefore, of the Jews, who had seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him, close quote. Well, that's not surprising that they're believing in him. He's just been doing these miracles, and this extraordinary miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, and the people have come to believe in him. But what was the response of the leaders to this miracle, this incredible miracle of raising a man from the dead, done only a few miles outside of Jerusalem? Quote, The chief priests, therefore, and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What do we do? For this man doth many miracles. Close quote, the inerrant word of God. Now note, they acknowledged that he did miracles. This man doth many miracles. They knew he did miracles. That was no surprise to them. The leaders had realized this from, that he was a miracle worker from the very beginning. They'd known he was sent from God. Some three years before, right at the beginning of his public ministry, one of the leaders of the Jews, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, came to our Lord at night and told him, Rabbi, we know thou art come a teacher from God, for no man could do the signs which thou dost unless God be with him. We know that our teacher come from God. So the leaders knew that Christ had been sent from God. But they weren't looking for a Messiah like this. In their pride, they expected a rule and rule absolutely over all the nations. That wasn't his message. Here he was, eating with sinners, talking with Samaritan women, even going so far as to heal the swine Canaanite woman, and that pagan Roman soldier's son. All this stood in stark contrast to the sort of tyrannical regime, the caste society they had imposed on people. And to make matters worse, he didn't hesitate to perform miracles on the Sabbath in direct contradiction of their oppressive rulings and teachings. They weren't looking for a Messiah like this. They were looking for something to advance their political agenda. And so his behavior absolutely enraged them. They couldn't deny his miracles. The best they could come up with in their hatred and rage was to try to blame the powers that he had on the devil. They even went so far as to accuse him of being possessed. He casteth out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Do not say, well, that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. Now we know thou hast a devil. But in the face of his personality, and his teachings and miracles, these attacks, these blasphemies, hadn't worked. The people still kept following him. And now, just outside Jerusalem, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. So they called the council and asked, What should we do for the man who works many miracles? Quote, If we let him alone so, all will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and nation. One of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest of that year, prophesied that Jesus should die for the sins of the nation. And not only for the nation, but to gather together in one the children of God that were dispersed. From that day, therefore, they devised to put him to death. And the chief priest thought to kill Lazarus also, because of many of the Jews, by reason of him, believed in Jesus. Close quote, the inspired word of God. So they're losing their following. They've tried to destroy our Lord's reputation, and that didn't work. So now they've settled on this final solution to kill our Lord, destroy him. 
and then kill Lazarus, destroy the evidence. Now stop and think of how crazy they've become at this time. Obviously, if our Lord raised Lazarus from the dead once, nothing's going to prevent him from doing it again. They're dealing with someone here who has power and dominion over death itself. Even though they have a pretty clear idea of who he is, even though they have a pretty clear idea of what he can do, their minds have been darkened by hatred and rage. They still want to kill him. We don't want a God like you. We don't want a king like you. We have no king but Caesar. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, he fell into their hands, and they poured out their hatred and fear upon him, and then managed to successfully manipulate the Romans into crucifying. And even after he died on the cross, the Romans, with that military efficiency, made absolutely sure that he was dead by piercing his heart with a thrust of a lance. That's what we're seeing about in the video. So our Lord was dead. There's no possible doubt about that. Jewish leaders had seen his death. They'd seen his dead body laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But think about this. Although the Lord leaders had clearly seen our Lord dead and buried in the tomb, they were still so worried about it, they actually took the extraordinary precaution of sealing the tomb and then posting an armed guard around it. The Jewish leaders posted a military guard at a gravesite just to make sure that the dead man inside didn't escape. But on that Easter Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. And the Jewish leaders knew what had happened. In fact, the empty tomb left them scrambling for an explanation to deny the obvious. And the very best these very intelligent men could come up with was to bribe the guards to testify that while they were sleeping, the disciples came and stole the body. Now there's a brilliant explanation. As St. Augustine asked, how is this? You call witnesses that were asleep? The very best the leaders could come up with was to ask everyone to believe that sleeping men witnessed a crime. Okay, but think about this. Why didn't they order an investigation? Why didn't they order an investigation in order to find out which of the disciples were guilty of this grave robbery? Why didn't they order an investigation to find the body? Would have been easy. Why? Because they knew what had happened. They knew what had happened, and the very best response they could, it was this pathetic lie, which falls apart at even the slightest scrutiny. And then... They simply ignored the empty tomb. But they knew what had happened. Everyone around there knew what had happened. The great Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus, who was himself a Pharisee from a distinguished family of Jewish priests, he's born in 37 AD, wrote in about 93, quote, Jesus was a doer of incredible things and a teacher of such as gladly accepted the truth. He thus attracted to himself many Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. On the accusation of the leading men of our people, Pilate condemned him to death on the cross. Nevertheless, those who had previously loved him still remained faithful to him, for on the third day he appeared to them alive again, just as the divine prophets had foretold. And at the present day, the tribe of those who call themselves Christians after him has not ceased. Close quote, Flavius Josephus. He doesn't have the faith, but he's an honest historian. He's just recording what happened. 
of course, everyone around there knew on Easter, our Lord wasn't the only one that rose from the dead. St. Matthew points out, quote, Many bodies of the saints that had slept arose, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, came into the holy city and appeared to many, close quote, the inerrant word of God. Quadratus, who's one of the earliest fathers of the church, an apostolic father, in a work that was presented to the Emperor Hadrian in the early 2nd century, wrote about these men, quote, Those who were cured by our Savior and those who he raised from the dead were seen not only while being cured and while being raised, they were ever present, not only while our Savior dwelt amongst us, but also for a considerable time after he had departed. In fact, some of them have survived to our own time. Close quote. Living, visible proof. Men were walking around that had first met Christ our Lord while they were dead in limbo, and he descended into the dead. And then they had been resurrected with him on that Easter Sunday, came up live, and they're walking around in the Middle East well after his ascension. These men are walking around in the Middle East well after our Lord's ascension into heaven. So the Jewish leaders knew what had happened. Everyone around there was aware of what had happened. So why would they want to ignore the empty tomb, even though they knew what had happened? For the same reason they ignored his other miracles. For the same reason they ignored his teachings. For the same reason they wanted to blame his powers on the devil. For the same reason they wanted to kill him. And why is that? Because the implications were too personally painful, too costly for them to consider. Maybe we've all grown used to the idea, but just think about this incredible event. A dead man, by his own power and his own will, raised himself up from the dead, lifted himself back into life in a glorious and immortal body. A dead man lifting himself out of the grave into a new immortal life. By performing this miracle upon himself, with his own power, Jesus proves his claim to be the Messiah and the true Son of God. The resurrection, that's the key to this. The resurrection proves Christ's claims. And since he's God, and God can never deceive, everything, every single thing our Lord taught must be absolutely true. And that's the real significance of Easter. See, we're all weak and sinful men. And so the reality that everything our Lord says is absolutely true can be painful because the gospel makes demands. And they're real demands. Our Lord doesn't say, all right, let's make a deal. You can do whatever you want as long as you're basically a good person. Our Lord doesn't say, let's make a deal. Our Lord says, this is the deal. If you love me, keep my commandments. Be holy. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come and follow me. It's black and white. It's black and white. Our Lord divided the world into two, and only two camps. There's only two camps, the lovers of the cross and the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's divided the world into two. He came to bring the sword, and that's what the sword does. Divides it, the world into the lovers of the cross of Christ and the enemies of the cross of Christ. It's black and white. On Judgment Day, we'll each have our own Easter. We'll all rise from the dead. 
each of us needs to ask himself, which camp am I living in? Am I keeping the commandments? Am I showing our Lord the very great gratitude I have for giving me the Catholic faith, the true faith, the faith without which it is impossible to please him? The tomb was empty. Christ has risen from the dead. And someday, so will we.